Ephesians chapter 5, page 1159. Ephesians 5, page 1159. We'll just read a little bit of Ephesians 5. Look at verse 8, so we'll start reading this morning. Ephesians 5, 11-59. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This morning I want to look at that first verse, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I was, actually, we're just looking at half a verse this morning. Again, we studied about four verses last Sunday, and I, I felt like again, I was going a little fast. So I want to slow us down again. Get a good pace here. So we'll study half a verse of verse 8 this morning. And we're studying the fact that Christianity is a life transformation. That's what they were talking about up here. That, that Christianity is becoming a new person. I really appreciated Debbie's testimony of how she tried to change, she tried to change, and she couldn't do it. And she realized that these Christians were different kinds of people. And it's true. Christianity is nothing less than a transformation of your inner person by the supernatural power of God. To become a Christian, it takes a miracle. To become a Christian, it takes a supernatural act of God by which He changes us, not just on the outside, not just in terms of going to a Bible study or something, but He transforms our heart so that we really become a different person. And that's what our text says right here in chapter 5, verse 8. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Well, what does exactly this mean by darkness and light? Obviously, he's speaking figuratively here, isn't he? And he's not speaking literally. He's not saying that literally we're beams of light. So in some figurative sense, we've gone from darkness to light. So maybe we should uh, just ask exactly what he means by that phrase. <clears throat> and to understand darkness and light, we have to step back and first understand that in the Bible, God is light. In the Bible, God is the one who is portrayed as light. God is a God of light. He's associated with light. Uh, think about 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Or John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will, walk, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or think back to the Old Testament. Whenever God appears to people, there's all this light. You know, there's fire, there's brightness. Uh, think of the story about when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. You know that story? He goes over Mount Sinai. He hangs out with God for a while. He comes back down with the Ten Commandments, but he has something else. Do you remember what it was? His face is shining. It's as if God's brightness kind of rubbed off on Moses, and all the people of Israel freak out. And so he has to wear a veil. It, 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 you know, if you want to draw a picture of Moses, it, it's a guy with a veil on his face because he's got this brightness that shines from his face from being in the presence of God. And so throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the picture you get is of somebody um, uh, uh, coming into the presence of God and seeing this light, this brightness. And if you think about it, light is a wonderful picture for God because light is so pure. 
Light, I mean, what, what's more pure than a beam of light? There's nothing in it. It's uncontaminated. And in the same way, God is pure. God is holy. The light, among other things, speaks about God's moral purity and, and perfection. So, when Paul says, you were darkness, what he means is, at one point, we lived away from the God who was light. To turn away from God, to disobey God, to reject God, is to live in the darkness. Darkness, then, is a spiritual condition. It's marked by sin, disobedience, ignorance. It's like what Debbie was saying, I study hard, party hard. You know, it's that lifestyle. This is just the way it is. That's that life of darkness in which, into which we were all born. Um, in fact, I was thinking about darkness this week. We had the blackout. I don't know where you guys were. I was in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. I was at my grandfather's uh, funeral. I had the privilege of conducting his funeral. Uh, but anyway, I was supposed to come back Thursday night, and we're supposed to go through Detroit. <coughs> and so I, I get to the airport, and they're saying, no, Detroit shut down. I'm like, what's going on? It's this, this darkness. Well, I thought I was in a bad spot, but then I watched TV, and there's some people, this is what they're out, people in New York subways when the lights went out. Can you imagine a more horrible place to be when the light goes out? <laughs> in a New York subway, you know, rats this big and all that stuff down there. I, you know, I, I can't imagine a more horrible place to be. But in a sense, that's where we are apart from God. We're down in the dark subways of sin. We can't see the light. We're, we're trying to figure out what life is about, feeling around in the dark. That's what, that's what darkness is. It's where we are apart from God when we live in our natural condition of sin. Now, we've already studied a couple times. I just want to refresh your memory. In Ephesians, Paul talks about this state of darkness, this spiritual darkness. Uh, for instance, he talks about in chapter 2. Look back at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Here's a description of the darkness in which we used to live. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's that darkened state of sin, worldliness, following our desires, but it's a life lived separated from God and His righteousness and holiness. Or just one other, for instance, of the darkness in which we used to live. Chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. It's that darkness and separation from God uh, go hand in hand. Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. But it's even worse than that. It's not just that we dwelt in darkness. It's not just that we dwelt in sin. It's not just that we were down in the subways of sin. But it's that we were darkness. It's even worse. I mean, look back at chapter 5, verse 8, our text. Paul doesn't just say, you were once in darkness. He says, you were once darkness. It's not just that I used to commit sins. It's that I was a sinner. Sin is not just an action. I think that's how we think of sin. Someone says sin and we think of doing something naughty. And sure, sin is an, an action, but it's also a condition of the soul. 
about Christ is to be a sinner at the most fundamental levels of our being. That's what it means to be in darkness. It's not just that I have a problem. I am the problem. <laughs> it's not just that I grew up in a dysfunctional family. It's that there's an inherent dysfunction in my nature that comes out regardless of what my family's like. It's not just that the house of my life needs a little paint on it. It's that the foundation is cracked and the whole thing's about to fall in. At the most deepest parts of my person, in the most secret cracks and crevices of my soul, there is issuing forth a darkness that I create, that I don't need society to mess me up. I am messed up because I am a sinner. I once was darkness. There's a fundamental orientation, a spiritual deadness with which I was born, that constantly pushed me away from God, so that when it came to choices of whether or not to follow God, I'd say, no, I'm going to follow Jeremy. That's that fundamental darkness with which we all were born and with which we all lived. But then something happened. Back to verse 8. For you are once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So to become a Christian is to change uh, spheres. It's to change realms. I used to live in the realm of sin and death and ignorance. But now as a Christian, I've been transformed and transferred into a new realm, the realm of righteousness and life and knowledge. I've gone from the dominion of darkness where Satan rules into the dominion of Christ and his kingdom. It's a fundamental radical change of my status before God. But it's not just, again, where I've moved to, it's who I've become. Right? Because we're going to look at it. You were once darkness, but now you are light. So, something has changed in me. And this is, uh, I can't overemphasize this, to say again that Christianity is nothing less than a miracle. It takes a miracle to become a Christian. It's when God supernaturally transforms our hearts so that we become a totally different kind of person. We become light. So if you are in Christ, a miracle has happened. God is doing miracles today, and the greatest miracle he's performing today is people going from darkness to light. People look for miracles, they look for signs. I see it in front of me. You are the sign of God. You are the miracle. You are the evidence that God exists. The transformed lives are the greatest evidence of God's power in the world today. The God, again, I keep using Debbie's story, but it was so perfect. I mean, I couldn't believe it. she's telling the testimony. I'm like, wow, this is so perfect for the sermon. You know, she talked about how she, she became a Christian, and the next week she went to the party, and she suddenly didn't want to be there. I mean, how did that happen? Suddenly her desires changed. From the deepest crevices of a person, there comes a new desire, a new orientation toward Christ that could not have been put there any other way but by God's power. When I was thinking about this transformation, I, I thought of, um, well, obviously I, this is kind of thing I'd think of, but I thought of the uh, movie Spider-Man. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Spider-Man last summer. I, mean, I was thinking it was going to be a real, you know, just lame, block, summer blockbuster, big special effects kind of movie. Uh, but it, I mean, actually, it was really good. I thought it was good acting and just a good storyline. But anyway, uh, you know the story of Spider-Man, right? It's Peter Parker. He's this nerdy high school student who never gets the girl and always gets beat up. And, and one day he goes on a field trip and he gets bit by a genetically engineered spider. This spider is like a super spider that's been genetically engineered. And he gets bit and through some you know, magic of science, he, he gets genetically re-engineered. 
and he gets, feels sick, he goes home and he's all sleepy and he sleeps, and that night while he's sleeping, his, his genetic code is reorganized so that he becomes a spider man. And he's no longer a man, he's now a spider man. He takes on characteristics, abilities, and structures of a spider. He's been now the Spider-Man. In fact, there's this one scene that I love in the movie where, they, where he's sleeping and they show this transformation taking place. And through computer graphics, they show the double helix of his DNA. And then, you know, sort of there. And then you see, like, these red, this sort of, like, wow, lightning hit it. And it starts to turn red and blue. Because, you know, he's Spider-Man. So it's red and blue. And it goes down like that. So you see, like, at, at his genetic level, he's being transformed. So that when he wakes up, he, at his most fundamental basic level, he's now a Spider-Man. He's not just a human being. And it's the same kind of thing when we become a Christian in the spiritual realm. God transforms us at the most fundamental level. He gives us a new nature. We become a different kind of person. Uh, the Bible has a lot of different terms to describe this. You're probably familiar with some of them. It says in 1 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. You become a new creation when you become a Christian. The Bible talks about our heart being transplanted. That we, uh, uh, we, God takes away a heart of stone and He gives us a heart of flesh. The Bible talks about becoming a new man in Christ or a new person in Christ. Well, my very favorite one, probably the most famous one, is the one Jesus said. Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. There has to be a radical transformation at the inner core of our person. We have to become sanctified in the inner person. So there's only one type of Christian in the world, one type of real Christian. is a born-again Christian. You've heard about born-again Christians? You kind of go, oh, those people. But hey, this isn't me. This is just Jesus. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can go to church your whole life. You can go through all the rituals and sacraments of the church, whatever. But unless there is a fundamental transformation of your nature by the power of God, unless you are born again, you're not truly a Christian in a biblical sense of the word. The theologians have a term for this. Let's see, give you theology quiz. This is called the doctrine of what? Well, I heard it somewhere. Someone say that loud. We Regeneration, that's right, it's the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is that secret work of God's power in which he reaches into a spiritually dead heart and puts a new principle of spiritual life within it so that the person comes to life spiritually and you, know, you wake up and, and you're a Christian man. You know, what happened? Something's different. God has done something in my life. And when God does that, we are able, as a result of that, to have faith and repent and believe in Christ and enter into the blessings of salvation. <clears throat> That's what we're talking about here. That's what these testimonies are about. Again, to become a member of our church, you have to be a Christian. And obviously, that's the fundamental thing, to be a Christian. And so to, if we believe, this is sort of how it follows logically, if we believe that a Christian is someone who's been supernaturally transformed through faith in Christ, then we want to hear from that person how it is that that happened. Now obviously, can someone lie to us and make up a story? Well, sure. We can be deceived. We don't know infallibly whether or not someone is a Christian. I don't have some kind of litmus test, some kind of breathalyzer you breathe into and it, oh, yeah, you know, your knowledge. We, we want to bring people into the church who have not just grown up in a church, but have been changed, saved, born again, new creation, however you want to put it. They've been saved by the power of God and have become a different kind of person. 
That's also the meaning of the symbolism of baptism. That just as Christ was buried and then raised, so also our old life of sin was buried, and now we live to a new life in Christ. That's the meaning of that ritual. Because Christianity at its fundamental level is a transformation of the person. <clears throat> so that raises another question. How do I get it? Gee, that sounds great. I, I would love to be a new person. I would love for God to change me. I would love to you know, have this experience of becoming spiritually alive. I'd love to go from darkness to light. How does it take place? What do I have to do? Is there someone i got to talk to? Is there some ritual I need to perform? How do I get that? That sounds great. Because, you know, I've tried some different things. I went to a nutritionist and a workout coach, and that was really good. I'm not eating better, and I feel better. If I have more energy, I feel healthier. But there's still an empty darkness within my heart. And I went to AA, and that was great. AA helped me get sober for the first time in my life. I'm not drinking, you say. And that's a wonderful thing AA did. But now I step away from that, and I say, okay, now I'm a sober sinner. I used to be a drunk sinner, but, but all AA has, has done is it's helped me manage a very destructive manifestation of sin, but I'm still, there's still a darkness in the inner person. And so I went to a therapist, and that was really helpful. And the therapist helped me work through some issues from my past, and I, I realized that, that I was still kind of hung up on some things that had happened to me, and the therapist helped me process some emotions I've been having. But now I'm a more emotionally stable sinner. And then I went to the pastor. And that was really helpful. I had some issues in my life. Uh, what was the right thing to do? What was the wrong thing to do? And they gave me some moral guidance and they prayed for me and it was comforting. But, but now I may be making a better moral decision in one area of my life, but I'm still a sinner. Who can change my heart? Who can transform me? The, the nutritionist and the support group and the therapist and all the other people have helped me in little ways, but I feel that fundamentally at the core of my person, there's still a darkness that needs to be changed. How do we experience the new birth, the new life, the new transformation? Look back at your text. Chapter 5, verse 8. Don't take my word for it. Look at the word. Chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ that this transformation takes place. It is by the power of God that this transformation takes place. No human can do it. No, no uh, organization can help you. There's no ritual that can change you. Baptism doesn't change you. I mean, this is just a, a tank full of water here. This isn't holy water. There's no such thing as holy water. That's some kind of superstitious nonsense. You know, this water here, we got this right out of him and tap. That's all it is. Just regular water. There's nothing magical in it that's going to change somebody. There's no ritual, whether you're baptized as an infant, confirmed, sacraments, you can fast, you can, you know, go around on your knees until they're bloody, begging for God to change you. But, you know, it's not any ritual that changes us. God has to do it by His supernatural power. It's God who changes us, not any ritual or sacrament of the church. In fact, there's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians, if you just go to the Bible flipping around with me, 2 Corinthians 4, it's, it's on page 1144, 1144 if you're using the Pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's a great verse, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
just to emphasize again that it's God who changes the heart. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God said, Let the light shine out of the darkness. That's a reference back to Genesis chapter 1, right? That's when God said, Let there be light, and God started the whole creation process. So the same God who spoke creation into existence and said, let there be light, must now speak a new creation into existence. And he says to us, let there be light. And the light comes on inside of Jeremy. The light comes on inside of Debbie and Frank and Kim and and whoever else is trusted in Christ. That light comes on and we're able to see Christ in his glory for the first time. God takes us and pulls us out of the subways of sin and brings us into the light. And for the first time, we can see Christ. For the first time, it makes sense. Only God can do it. It's a supernatural miracle that God must do in our lives. And so just as in the first creation, God spoke it, so now in the new creation, God spoke it. New Christians are the foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. You don't even look at it this way. But the new heavens and the new earth that are coming at the end of time, they've already started to come. And they're manifesting themselves inside the souls of believers. We are the new creation. Don't miss that language. We are the new creation. It's already happening right now, even before the end of time. And so we are a totally new thing. So that leaves one final question. Okay, so what do I have to do? How can I get this transformation? All right, it, Christianity is a transformation of the soul. God is the one who does it. So do I do anything? Do I just kind of sit around and hope that somebody will like me and hits me? What do I do? Well, the Bible has told us what our responsibility is, which is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. We have to say, God, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself by my best efforts and works. I cannot change myself. Only you can save me. And so in simple faith, I just cry out, Jesus, save my soul and change me. The only thing we can bring to the salvation equation is the problem. That's the only thing I bring to the whole thing of salvation is the mess. And God does the rest. And so in faith and in repentance, I bring God the mess. And in faith, I give it to Christ. And He is the one then who saves me by His power. In fact, I was thinking about it. There's a popular song on the radio, but whenever, if one of these songs never you hear it, you just crank the radio up because it rocks so hard. It's a song by a group called uh, Adventists. I don't know if you ever heard of them. It's, they have this amazing song called Bring Me to Life. In fact, I, I, I thought when I heard the song, this had to be a Christian song because the lyrics were so amazing. But let me just read you the chorus. I'm not going to sing it to you because you know, even though I want to, I'm going to rock out up here. I don't want to rip my pants or something. So it says, uh, Wake me up inside. I can't wake up. Wake me up inside. Save me. Call my name and save me from the dark. Wake me up, bid my blood to run. Before I come undone, save me from the nothing I've become. I, you know, so I downloaded that from the internet. I'm like, did you really say that? I thought, that's a salvation prayer. Kind of, you know. It, it's, it's calling out, God, I am spiritually dead. God, I am a sinner. And I need you to save me, to have mercy on me. And I put my faith in the mercy of Christ to save my soul. And when we come in that emptiness of faith and repentance, it's, excuse me, it's God 
who then saves us. And in fact, the fact that we even come to him in faith and repentance is an evidence that he's already at work in our lives, letting the light shine into our souls. So just one more uh, verse, and then then we'll be done. I know it's warm here. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. What must we do to be saved? What does it take to experience this inner transformation? Look at Luke chapter 18. It's on page 1038 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 18, page 1038. Look at verse 9. It says, To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and if you know the the Bible history, a Pharisee is the religious elite of Jesus' day. So as two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And again, if you know your Bible history, you know the tax collectors were scoundrels, thieves. Uh, Everyone hated them, and the reason is because they were real scum. And they they were crooks. So you got these two people. You have the religious elite, and you have the the loan shark, almost. (laughs) Really corrupt person. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood in distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I will tell you that this man, referring to the tax collector, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. Oh, I love that story. Because I am the tax collector, if I'm honest. And to know that I can just come before God and say, God, I've got nothing except sin. I've got nothing but the problem. God, I put my faith in you, Jesus, to save me. And that God will rescue repentant, humble sinners like me and like the tax collector. And so I want to, before we close the service here, I just want to make an offer. Is there anyone here who would like to trust in Christ as their Savior? Perhaps God is. Maybe you feel that light coming on in your soul. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to make anybody stand up and come up here or anything like that. But, But if I can just pray for you, if I could just pray for you to receive Christ, that's what I'd like to do. And what I'd like you to do is just just quickly raise your hand, just like that. All right, thank you. Anyone else? I just want to pray with you. Thank you, sister. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. We'll just pray for you. I'm not going to make a big deal of it. It's not a big show, but just want to pray. Okay, for those of you who, two of you raise your hands, and the rest of you just bow your heads. If there's anyone else... And what we're going to do is I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And I'd invite you, that is, I'll pray it and I'll be quiet. And when you can quietly pray it, make it your own prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I do confess that I am a sinner. That I have lived in darkness. And Jesus, I confess that I cannot save myself because I am darkness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for sinners.
And with the little tiny bit of faith I have, I reach out and say, Jesus, save me and forgive me. I believe in you. Come into my life and change me. Oh God, I thank you that you still are in the business of changing people. Lord, I have no idea where my life would be right now if you hadn't rescued me. Oh God, what a train wreck my life would have been. But I thank you that you have saved me, that this room is full of miracles that you have done, changing and saving people by your power. God, I pray for those who have just called out in the name of Christ. I pray, Lord, that in your sovereign power, in your mercy, you would forgive them, and that you would speak the word of assurance into their hearts that no church and no pastor can give. I pray, God, that they might know in the core of their being that they are your children through your Holy Spirit's presence. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for these baptisms, these testimonies. What an awesome feast this has been. And we give you all the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.